Wednesday. Acts chapter 13, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts 13, 13 through 16. The Bible says there, Now when Paul and his company loosed from, from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to, to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give guidance. And then from verse 17 down through oh, verse 41 or 42, uh, Paul preaches a sermon in the synagogue where he lays out uh, the history of Israel and lays out how Jesus is the fulfillment of that history, and he is their salvation right there in that synagogue. There's a lot to unpack in the remainder of the chapter. The title of the sermon tonight out of Acts 13 is this, Paul's Pioneering Ministry on the Mission Field. This first time out, they are pioneering a path, trailblazing a path in the darkness. Uh, They're bringing the gospel light to people who have never heard and do not know. And so, um, uh, <laughs> excuse me, we'll see, uh, the, we'll see how that plays out this evening. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we understand uh, the passage, not only to understand it with our head, but Lord, help us to listen with our hearts. Lord, uh, give me the words to say, and Lord, help me not to uh, say anything that would dishonor you, displease you, or be disobedient to you. But, Lord, as my mouth needs to be ordained from on high, uh, Lord, it's a waste of time if it falls on deaf ears. And so, Lord, help all of us in here to leave uh, determined, uh, to leave challenged, to be better. And, uh, Lord, to leave with some point of growth that we can take home. Help us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, in the beginning of Acts 13, we see the five elders, if you will, of the church of Antioch as they are fasting and ministering. And the Holy Spirit of God comes down and tells these men of Cyrene and, uh, uh, let's see, Cyrene and the other uh, Cyprus there, uh, he tells them, these five men, he says, take Paul and Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit says, uh, ordain them and send them forth and to take the gospel to the uttermost. So Paul and Barnabas, along with uh, uh, Luke and John Mark, they get on a boat and they head to the island of Cyprus. And when we left them last week, they had gone from one end of the island uh, where they had preached in the synagogue and then on to the, the Gentiles and over to the other side of the island. And when they get, got to the other side of the island, they encountered a, a man by the name of Bar-Jesus who was, uh, who was a, a wicked man who was Satan-possessed, and uh, Paul would directly handle that. And as a result, the deputy of that area, the, the, the Roman ruler in that area, um, uh, Paulus, would end up getting saved and become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, stop for just a moment and think about this. You have four men for sure on this missions team. You have Paul, you have Barnabas, you have John Mark, and you have Luke. Stop and think about that. Paul, John, Mark, and Luke would write about 70% 
of your New Testament, all three of these guys on the same team. Luke wrote the book of Luke, obviously, and the Gospel of Luke, and uh, he wrote the book of Acts, which we're preaching through now. John Mark would write the book of the Gospel of Mark that we have, and Paul would write a, a good chunk of, of everything after the book of Acts, all the way through uh, to, to um, uh, all the way through the pastoral epistles. And so, about seventy percent of what was written down on scroll from heaven, from God to man, came through the men on this. Boat. What a, I would have loved to have sat there when they were eating lunch and just listened to these guys talk. Now, Paul would end up taking three missionary journeys, and the book of Acts follows him through these journeys, and then a fourth journey as he's in prison and taken to Rome, where he will eventually be killed. In his first journey, we said last week, he was a pioneer. He was a pioneer. He was clearing the path in the darkness. He was preparing hearts for the explosion of church communities that would come as a result of his second journey. On his second journey, he was not a pioneer, but he was a planner, a planner. He went back to many of the same cities and to some new and sought to establish church communities where the pioneering work had already been done, either by him or others. And then on his third missionary journey, he was a preacher, a preacher. He sought to establish these churches and he he sought to preach to them and firm up their doctrine and firm up their autonomy as local churches. When we find Paul in Acts chapter <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Acts chapter thirteen, we find a man uh, God was using to uh, propagate the gospel to the Gentiles as well as establish churches in their community. Now, while on the island of Cyprus, they find themselves in Barnabas's hometown. Um, uh, but once they got on the boat and they traveled uh, uh, on to that next area, they traveled on to Perga in Pamphylia and then on to Antioch in Pisidia, now they are in the region where Paul was raised. The mountains of Tarsus are right there off the Mediterranean coast, and that's where Paul was raised. Back then he was Saul. And so watch this. First they went to Barnabas's Jerusalem, and now they're in Paul's Jerusalem, and they're preaching the gospel as they go. As they journey and as they preached, they will face hardships, we'll see, betrayal, persecution, and rejection. But they will also see those who have been dismissed by the Jewish culture, those are the Gentiles, they'll get to see many, many of them come to salvation. I believe that those regions, this is what's a point of, of application to all of us here this evening, I believe those regions that sit in darkness still need missionaries who will endeavor to take on spiritual darkness and proclaim, thank you, Brother Tom, proclaim the gospel to hungry souls who seek for truth. Now, there will be forces of darkness that oppose. There will be many who will receive the good news of the gospel message as well. We need more Christians who will follow Paul and Barnabas' example to go and tell the good news to those who have never heard. The story goes that two missionaries traveled 
to the or rather two shoe salesmen traveled to the country of Mongolia into an area that was not civilized and one shoe shoe salesman arrived and he immediately phoned back and he said cancel the order no one here wears shoes the second shoe salesman arrived just a month later and he called and said uh, triple the order no one here wears shoes and it's all on your perspective all on how you want to do it here Paul and Barnabas are going in with their team to an area where no one believes and some would look at that and say well no one believes let's pack up and go home Paul and Barnabas said no one believes hey more fruit for the taking let's get in there and let's get after it and let's get it and let's proclaim the gospel and i'm going to tell you christian that if you take the gospel whether it's to a friend a neighbor a co-worker or you go to the other side of the globe uh, and, and you're going to go preach the gospel to people who've never heard and they have hearts of stone or they they're just uh, cold uh, toward the gospel maybe they've never heard the gospel they're an unreached people group of sorts you will have satanic forces that oppose you but you'll also have those who bend an ear and want to listen. So let's join Paul and Barnabas and the guys back in Acts 13 as they are departing from Cyprus and see how God will use them as they continue to proclaim Christ to both the Jews and the Gentiles as we consider this title, Paul's Pioneering Ministry on the Mission Field. All right, let's jump tonight to the outline notice. Point number one, John Mark's Retreat. John Mark's Retreat. Look at verse number 13 with me again. It says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from, from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, in order for us to truly understand a verse, not only do we need context within the passage, we also need historical context, cultural context, and in this case, geographical context. Uh, we read here about Paul and company arriving in an area that we know nothing about. We know nothing about. And the very next phrase is after they arrived, John Mark, he packed up and he went home. Now, it says here he went to Jerusalem. Do you remember who lived in Jerusalem? John Mark's mother Mary lived in Jerusalem. Do you remember that when Peter was released from prison by the angels a couple of chapters ago, that he, he, he went in the morning, and remember Rhoda was there and wouldn't let him in, and went and told the praying women that uh, Peter's outside the gate, and they said, it can't be Peter, it's got to be his angel. That was the home of John Mark's mother, Mary. And she lived in Jerusalem, and John Mark went home to mother. Now, why did John Mark leave? He was in Antioch with the guys, and then he went to Cyprus, and then on up here uh, to this uh, uh, this next stop. And uh, next thing you know, he's gone. He's packing up his bags and going home. So let me try to provide the context that I can, that I've been able to conjure up, to dig up, and help us to understand. Um, notice the subtle change. Uh, in the very beginning of verse 13 to the leadership team. Look back at the beginning of 13. It says, now when Paul and his company. You see that there? Paul and his company. Well, what happened to Barnabas? What happened to Barnabas? It was Barnabas who accepted Saul of Tarsus 
remember? And brought him in. Saul of Tarsus was an outsider. And Barnabas was in good with the church of Jerusalem. And he brought him in as an outsider. And then after uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus departed, he went back to Tarsus, the same area they're in now, and, and was there doing his thing and ministering. And then Barnabas goes up to the church in Antioch, and he gets things going, and he thinks, I need some help. So he goes and gets Saul of Tarsus, and he brings him back to the church of Antioch. And you've got Pastor Barnabas with assistant pastor Saul of Tarsus. So when they departed and they went on this missionary trip, one would assume that Barnabas would have been in the lead and Paul would have been secondary. But after everything that happened on the island of Cyprus with Bar-Jesus, now it is not Barnabas that's leading. According to verse 13, it's Paul and his company. There's been a change in leadership. Now Paul is in charge. We're trying to understand why John Mark quit this first mission trip and walked away. Another interesting point is that Barnabas was the uncle of John Mark. So his uncle was in charge and now no longer was he in charge. What could have that played a factor? It is quite possible. Now, if you read the writings of Paul and you follow his life as a minister, you can draw some extreme conclusions. Paul was a leader of leaders. He was a fanatical. He was dedicated, committed, and undetoured no matter what came his way. Paul had no problem walking into the jaws of death and preaching the gospel. You remember the poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, uh, The Charge of the Light Brigade, Into the Valley of Death, Rode the 600? Paul would have been leading the 600 into the valley of death. Uh, He had no problem with danger. He enjoyed it. I think he looked for a challenge and he ran at it. Some would say that Paul's flinch factor was turned off. He just didn't have one. You're going to stone me? Okay, I'm going to stand here. Go ahead and throw a rock. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Uh, He just wasn't scared. He, He was undeterred. And so his attitude was, the Lord will protect us, so let's go and get it. Um, history tells us that Perga in Pamphylia was a dangerous region. Paul wanted to take the team up through the Tarsus Mountains. There were perils everywhere. The coastline was infected with pirates. The mountains were the home of thieves. The way ahead was steep and rugged and full of wild beasts and lawless men. The going would be tough, but none of that deterred Paul to quit a missionary, uh, to quit a missionary enterprise just because of some difficulties would mean to surrender all along the line. He was not going to quit. He did not want to establish a pattern of being a quitter. As we saw out of Hebrews 12 this morning, he was going to run his race and he was not going to be deterred. There's a story of a missionary who served in northwest Canada. He had a difficult time reaching the people uh, as the area was quite rural and the terrain was treacherous. He, he had a custom of stopping at various outposts and he would go in and have a cup of coffee and uh, chat with the men at the outpost. He would give them a gospel newspaper. He would try to witness to them where he could and then he'd get back on um, his way and, and, and go up to the next outpost and it, sometimes it could be miles and miles before he got to the next one but he'd share the gospel everywhere he could. Well, one day he approached such an outpost and noticed that it was fenced, attached to the sign 
uh, was a, uh, rather attached to the fence was a sign that said, beware of dog. Well, he opened the latch to the fence and a ferocious dog with teeth out and snarling and barking appeared. And everything inside of him said, do not go in that fence. So he closed the latch and he prayed. And he said, Lord, what would you have me do? And he felt the Lord saying, you need to go in the fence. And so he opened up the latch and he very carefully stepped inside and shut it and began to walk up toward the front door. That dog was barking and and just having a fit right behind him at his heels. And he very methodically and slowly made his way up uh, to the door. And he got to about the, the about 10 feet from the door there. And a woman opened the door with a loaded gun in her hand. And she said, Sir, what are you doing here? And he took one of his gospel papers and he gave it to her. And she said to him, she said, Did you not see the sign that said, Beware of dog? And he admitted that he had. And she said, uh, do you not understand that this dog is trained to kill? And he said, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can tell. She said, sir, my dog killed a bear last week. My dog is a trained killer. And this dog is here to protect me when my husband's not home. She said, sir, I recommend you never walk back up here ever again. I'll take your, your paper, but don't you ever come back. As he was recounting the story, he said, if I would have backed down there, where would have the backing down stopped? I had to go up to that door. The Spirit of God prodded me to do so. Now, the mindset that this missionary had is the same mindset that Paul had. It wasn't necessarily the mindset of Barnabas. Barnabas was a more measured gentleman, so it would seem. But Paul was not going to back down to dangerous threats. Now look back at verse 13. The Bible says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. With all of this going on, leadership uh, change, a change in leadership, and the terrain looking treacherous, and uh, uh, Paul's fanatical attitude of, of, of no holds, no bars, march forward for the Lord. Um, uh, John Mark threw in the towel and he quit. He hopped on a boat and he went back to Jerusalem and he went home. The Bible doesn't tell us tell us why, but it does tell us that he quit. And later on in the book of Acts, we'll see that this really burned Paul deeply when it was time to take another uh, minister or servant along to help them on their journey. Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance and Paul said, absolutely not. And we know that this would be a rift that would run deep between Paul and Barnabas and cause them even to split and part ways. Why? Because John Mark Quit. And I just want to say tonight that um, uh, uh, churches are filled with people who in all enthusiasm and zeal jumped up and said, I'll serve, Pastor. I'll help in the nursery. I'll teach a class. I'll be involved with the children's program. I'll be involved with the youth. I'll help clean the church. I'll, I'll, I'll serve as an usher. I'll do my part with the bus ministry. And lo and behold, when things get tough, they quit. And I have to say this evening that as a leader of White Oak Baptist Church, nothing is more disheartening when someone signs up to help and they walk away when the going gets tough and they quit. And ministry and churches are filled with people who 
quit. And we need folks who will not do that. Now, uh, to John Mark's credit, he picked himself up. He dusted himself off. He got back in the race. And at the very end of Paul's life, he said, bring John Mark to me because he is, he is um, worthy. He's made himself um, uh, valuable to me again. And so praise God for those who helped restore him. But uh, the, the, when the going get, got tough, uh, John Mark walked away. And boy, that hurt them. Now, understand that back earlier in the chapter when it said John Mark was brought with them, it describes him as a minister. And the word minister, minister there uh, would imply that what would happen is Paul and Barnabas would get set up in a town and John Mark would go do the grocery shopping and he would prepare the meal and he would make sure that uh, things were taken care of, the little menial tasks were taken care of so Paul and Barnabas could tend to the work of the ministry and now all of a sudden that John Mark was gone, Paul had to pack his own tent and Paul had to uh, 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 wash his own dishes and Paul had to take care of his own things and these things stole away from his desire to do the work of God. I'm thankful that at our church, not one time have I had to climb on a lawnmower and cut the lawn here. I've done a lot of things around the church, but those things that would take away from my Bible study time or my church visitation time, there have been those who have stepped up over the last five years and have made that happen. Hey, and praise the Lord. There have been folks to clean the building and praise the Lord. Let's not have John Marks who take a break and retreat. Number one, we see John Mark's retreat. Number two, notice Paul and Barnabas's reasoning. Paul and Barnabas's reasoning. So they land there in, uh, let's see, uh, they land there, verse 13 tells us that it's the area of Perga and Pamphylia, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. And they take a track north several miles up through the mountains of Tarsus, a very steep and winding path, a very dangerous path, and they arrive at a city called Antioch, in Pisidia. Now, these people were off of the beaten path. There was a synagogue there, and there were Jewish leaders there, but they weren't really in the know of all that had happened, uh, per se, and, and uh, with the Church of Jerusalem. And, and so they were out of the loop. There was no cell phones back then. There wasn't telephones at all or telegrams back then. And so they were out of the loop of what was going on. And Paul is going to take advantage of that. So number two, we see Paul and Barnabas's reasoning. Notice letter A, Israel's history. Israel's history. Uh, look with me at verse 16. Let's read down through verse number 22. Acts 13 and verse 16. The Bible says, Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manner in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their lot to them, or divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards they desired a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, and to whom also uh, 
he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So we see here a pattern. All right, so back up a little bit. Uh, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15 tell us that Paul and Barnabas walked in uh, to the synagogue and they sat down. Must have been a Saturday, and they listened to the reading of the uh, the prophets. Uh, they listened to the reading and uh, the history and the prophets. And once that was done, the men who were running the synagogue they look down and see Paul and Barnabas, and they say, "Well, these guys they've got clout. I mean, Saul is from this area, and he's 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 a Roman, he's a Jew, uh, he he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. All that was true. Hey, let's let these guys speak. Well, they don't know." what Paul's even going to get up and say. And I just have to say that it, I'm a pastor. It's dangerous when you just say, hey, why don't you come on up here and, and, and share a word? Uh, I went up to uh, Maine uh, to, and stayed at the Chippio's uh, place a few years back. And uh, on a Wednesday night, I went to uh, a, a Baptist church up there. I think several of you have maybe even been to that Baptist church. And, and I went and, and I was dressed down a little bit because I didn't want to get asked to preach because I wanted to break. Amen. But I just so happened to have a sermon in my Bible because I had preached at Central Baptist School. I had preached in their chapel uh, that morning on my way out of town up there. And that, those sermon notes were still clipped in my Bible. That pastor had never met me. And he looked at me and said, you want to preach tonight? And I thought about getting up and starting to speak in tongues or something to make him real uncomfortable. You know, and um, uh, just start preaching something that was real apostate just to see if I could get a reaction out of him. I went ahead and preached. And listen, you've got to be careful when you just ask a stranger to speak. And that's exactly what they did. They turned the service over to Paul and said, Hey, man, uh, you're a Pharisee of Pharisees and you're a Roman and a Jew. Man, yeah, you, you and Barnabas, you guys go ahead and speak. And so what does Paul do? He gets up and he begins to recount their history. Now, this was a popular uh, tactic, a, po a popular speaking tactic. In fact, you find this throughout the Bible. Hebrews 11 lays out the history of Israel going all the way back uh, to Abel. And you find that uh, Stephen did this when he was brought in before the council. He recounted the history. And here again, you have uh, Paul recounting the history. Why? That fit the custom of their church services that day. So what does he do? He begins with Moses and he talks about how they're delivered from Egypt. And then they have a time in the wilderness. And then they conquer Canaan land. And, and, and then they're ruled by judges up through Samuel. And then uh, they get King Saul. And then King David, what's he doing? He's laying the groundwork through their history to be able to give these Jews the gospel. Letter B, we see Israel's heritage. Israel's heritage. Look at verse number 23. Of this man's seed, speaking of David, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 1 says this. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, that's the son of David, uh, uh, right, Jesse's, uh, David's the, uh, let's see, Jesse's son is David, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So whoever the Messiah was going to be had to be born through the reign, uh, the lineage of 
David. And sure enough, Jesus was born through that reign. Again, look back at verse number 23 with me. Of this man's seed, David, uh, hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, a Messiah, Jesus. Look at 24. Now when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, speaking of John the Baptist here, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Who think ye that I am? I am not. He, I am not the Messiah, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham. And um, whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwelt at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, uh, uh, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they had fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, they desired, uh, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And whom they had fulfilled, uh, and w- rather, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. God had promised the Messiah going all the way back to Adam and Eve. But those promises ramped up through the establishment of the nation of Israel. Uh, what, do, what were the prophecies that were given to the Israelites? What, what is exactly uh, Paul uh, hinting at here or, 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 or leading them to see? Uh, a Messiah was to come. They knew this. He was saying to them, Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, A preacher was to prepare the way. John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. Even John the Baptist declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. According to the prophet Isaiah, the Messiah must die. And what happened to Jesus? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are Healed. What is Paul telling these Jews in Antioch of Pisidia, these Jews who know very little about Jesus, these Jews who live in a rural area a long way from Jerusalem? He's telling them, you know your history, Jews, but what you don't know is that the Messiah has come in the form of Jesus. He has fulfilled the prophecies. Letter A, we see Israel's history. Letter B, Israel's heritage. Letter C, Israel's hope. Israel's hope. Look down at verse number 30. It says, But God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was uh, made unto the fathers, uh, God had hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning uh, that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will uh, give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, and it's Psalm 1610 that uh, Paul's going to reference here, uh, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And And then Paul clarifies, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. He died and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. What's he saying? He's saying God was not speaking of David in Psalm 16. God was speaking of the Messiah. That he would not 
uh, uh, he would not succumb to death, or rather, death would not hold him down. He would raise again from the dead. You see, the death of the Messiah was not the only thing that was prophesied. The Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who also uh, was also prophesied to be raised up from the dead. What was Paul's message to the Jews? Your Messiah came, your Messiah lived, your Messiah died, and your Messiah, Jesus Christ, is alive. That's what he's telling them here in this sermon. Notice that Paul is telling his fellow Jewish countrymen, he's telling the Jews that Jesus is their Messiah. But the truth is that Jesus is everyone's Messiah. It isn't just Israel's hope. It's our hope. It's our hope. You see that? This isn't just for the Jews. Yes, Jesus was born from the lineage of Judah and David. Jesus came to minister to the Jews. And Jesus died on the cross as a Jewish man. But Jesus didn't just die for the Jews. He died for everyone in the world. Turn back over to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse number 1. Genesis 12. And here we find the establishment of of the Jewish nation, of the calling out of Abraham, uh, out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Genesis chapter 12, and let's look at 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Look at verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. Look here. And in thee, Abraham, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. How many of you here this evening are not, as far as you know, are not in any significant way Jewish? Would you raise your hand if you're not in any significant way Jewish? There's a few folks in here I think might have, knowingly have some Jew in them. How many of you here would say that because of the life of Jesus Christ, your life has been deeply blessed? Amen. Amen. Um, It wasn't just, listen, the message Paul was preaching in the synagogue to the Jewish people wasn't just for the Jews. It it, it was for everybody. It, It was for anyone and everyone who wanted it. And Jesus is our hope. Because of Abraham, you and I know what it means to have our sins forgiven. Because of Jesus, uh, the Jewish prophet who came to earth from heaven, the divine God born in the form of a Jewish man who lived and died on the cross, through Him we have everlasting life. Letter D, we see Israel's hesitation. Israel's hesitation. Look at verse number 38 with me of Acts 13. The Bible says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that though that through the... Let's see here. That through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things. I just want to pause here. Notice that it doesn't say, and by him all that believe and are baptized are justified. It doesn't say, and by him all that believe uh, and go to church every Sunday or give uh, alms to the church every week or uh, live a cleaned up lifestyle. It says, all them that believe are 
justified. Hey, let me be really clear on this. The only thing that saves someone is believing in Jesus. It's not about how good you are. It's never been about how good you are. I've had people say to me, well, Pastor, when I get my lifestyle cleaned up a little bit more, I'll let Jesus save me. No, 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 my friend. You don't need to clean up your lifestyle to get saved. You need to get saved, and then you need to let God clean up your lifestyle afterwards. Uh, I, look, if you're going to wait till you get your life cleaned up first, then somehow you think you're qualifying yourself for salvation. We can't qualify ourselves to be saved. There's nothing about us that's worthy. Everything about us is unworthy. You take the most cleaned up uh, human being on planet Earth that's lost, that lives by the greatest set of morals, and my friend, even they are unworthy. You take a pig out of the mud and you clean them up and you get them nice and, and clean and you set them back down, you know where he's going to go? First chance he gets, right back to the mud pit. We're all a bunch of sinners, and you can't clean yourself up. It is, you are justified by faith. It is in believing in Jesus that we're justified. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. So now he's going to throw Habakkuk at them and say, those of you that hesitate... Hey, the prophet Habakkuk has addressed you in this area. Look here. Behold, ye despisers, and wander and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Take your Bibles back to Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 5. He says to them, I'm laying out the truth for you. I'm making it crystal clear. Jesus Christ is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He came to fulfill all of the promises of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill all of the ritualism and symbolism of Judaism. He's come to die on the cross. He is that Lamb of God, that great sacrifice, the fulfiller of all sacrifices. But if you hesitate, if you choose not to believe, if you reject, well then my friend, you are in turn going to be rejected. Look at verse 5 of Habakkuk 1. Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Oh, Paul is saying, don't be part of those which hear, but don't believe. Which hear and don't believe. Hebrews talks about those who taste of salvation but go to hell. How do you taste of salvation and go to hell? You get the taste of the gospel in your mouth. You have a full, total understanding of it. You chew it up and you spit it out instead of swallowing it. My friend, many, many, many people, they know the gospel inside and out. They have believed up here with their head, but they have not believed down here in their heart. And there are a whole lot of people who walk around churches. Churches in America are filled with them. They act like they're saved. They look like they're saved. They talk like they're saved. Some of them are deacons. Some of them are life group leaders or Sunday school teachers. Some of them are even pastors and pastor's wives. They put on a good show. But they're not truly believers. They're not, everybody up here, they're not truly saved. And I just want to say tonight, don't let that be you. I don't want anyone's salvation to be called into question. If you are truly saved, praise God for it. But there are a lot of people that are religious like the Pharisees here, 
in Acts 13. But they're not truly saved. I, I think we'll get to heaven one day and we're going to be surprised at who isn't there. We're also going to be surprised at some people who are there. I really believe this. We're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to think I sat on a church pew or church chair with them for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they weren't even saved. They, they, they never really became a believer. They, they prayed in church. They ushered. They watched the nursery. They even filled in and preached sometimes when the pastor was out. And and again, I'm not trying to get anyone to question their salvation, but deep down inside, you know if you've ever truly believed in the Lord. And here he's saying to those, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Hey, listen, I've just told you that Jesus is the Messiah. He's alive. Believe in Him. And he says, don't be those who despise the wanders and perish. Number one, we see John Mark's retreat. Number two, Paul and Barnabas's. Reasoning number three, the Gentiles' request. The Gentiles' request. Look at 42 and 43 with me. Verses 42 and 43. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now, I imagine that when Paul got through giving this impassioned sermon that we find, the Jews sitting there didn't know what to think with what they had just heard. The other religious leaders were left scratching their head, not knowing how to make heads and tails of what they had just heard. And somehow, when Paul and Barnabas come walking out of the synagogue, they have a group of Gentiles who gather around them and say, Can you preach to us next? How do the Gentiles know? I, I've, I've read this passage and I've kind of smirked and laughed as I've thought about this. I wonder if while Paul was up there preaching, the, the Gentiles weren't allowed in the synagogue. If they weren't like right outside the door with their ear, you know, what, what, what's he talking about in there? And they got enough of a glimpse of what he said. They couldn't really hear the whole thing, but they got the gist of it. They got the idea of it. And when Paul came out, they said, can you preach to us next? Even many of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the people who attended the synagogue found their way to Paul and began to ask him questions because now they're intrigued by what they heard. Many were tempted to defect from Judaism and join this new Christianity, the request of the Gentiles. Why? Because now this is a point in the message that I really want you all to get and I really want to draw out tonight. The Gentiles were starving. They were starving to hear the message of Jesus. I've heard stories of missionaries who go to a foreign land where the gospel is not allowed to be preached for decades. And then, all of a sudden, they get their religious freedom and they allow missionaries back in. I've heard stories of missionaries who will open up a box of Bibles and stand there on a street corner with 100 Bibles or 50 Bibles in a box and within seconds, they're all gone. People starving to get their hands on a Bible. People starving to get the truth. 
Some of you have probably seen the clip that's been around social media and YouTube of the Chinese church that got copies of the Bible and they opened the box and the people uh, just, uh, just mobbed to the box and they get their copy and they're hugging it and they're kissing it and they're crying on it. There are people all over this planet who don't know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're waiting for someone to go and tell them. They're requesting for someone to come and preach the gospel to them. And we need young people, we need old people, we need career people, we need uh, folks who've not yet chosen a career who will stand up and say, I'm willing to turn my back on any sort of American dream. I'm willing to go and give the gospel to people who've never been reached. I'm willing to go. Someone once said, should anyone hear twice until everyone has heard once? There are people in this world, the only way they know the name Jesus is as a byword. No one's ever explained to them who He is. They have no idea. Paul and Barnabas come and give the gospel, and these Jews are starving for someone to tell them. Number four, notice, the Gentiles reached. Look down at verse number 48 and 49 with me. Verses 48 and 49. The Bible says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad... And glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Now in verse 49 we find yet another one of Paul's missionary methods. He would take the gospel to a large populated, densely populated area. He would preach the gospel there. He would see converts and then he would let them take the gospel to subcultures beyond the city into rural area and mountainous areas where maybe a secondary language uh, would be spoken and the gospel, like the hub of a wheel, would travel outward all around those regions. Paul did not go to a rural area. He would go to densely populated areas, he would give the gospel, and then when he would come back next time, he would find that the gospel had spread out. And verse uh, number uh, 49 tells us that the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. It tells us there that as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Simply put, those who opened their ears and those who listened and those who didn't reject, they were the ones who were ordained. They were the ones who believed they received the gospel message. Look down at verse 52. Verse 52. And the disciples, these are the Gentile disciples, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Now before Paul and Barnabas got on a boat and left Antioch and then left Cyprus and arrived here to this area, uh, Paphos, and then uh, made the, the treacherous climb through the Tarshish Mountains and found their way to Antioch and Pisidia, no one knew about Jesus. But here they stand up and preach, and people are being saved left and right, left and right. Why? Because they were willing to go. They had had a call from the Lord. They had followed the call. And the Bible tells us that the disciples were filled with joy, filled with joy. I think that as Americans, we have... Uh, not just as Americans, as humans, we have a natural built-in fear. All of us have this same fear. Here it is. It is the fear of the unknown. We're all afraid of the unknown. You ever been working out in the field and had a tree branch touch your shoulder? 
You jump. Well, what's that? You know, the snake fall out of the tree and land on my shoulder? And then when you turn and see the tree branch, you're not afraid, are you? No one's afraid of a tree branch. But you weren't afraid of the tree branch. You were afraid of the unknown. And I think many people are afraid to go to a mission field because they're afraid of the unknown. People are afraid of being away from friends and family. People are afraid of uh, what it would take to go. And I have to say that if you go, if God leads you and calls you and you go to a mission field and you proclaim the gospel and people are saved and that's God's calling on your life, there is no greater joy than seeing that great commission accomplished to people who are starving for the gospel. Let's finish up the message tonight. Look at number five, Paul and Barnabas' rejection. It wasn't, all, uh, it wasn't all peaches and cream. It wasn't all rose petals. There were some thorns involved with these roses, and these thorns were going to come after Paul and Barnabas. Letter A, notice the Jews' envy. The Jews' envy, the Jews, the, meaning the Jewish leaders. Look at verses 45 and 46. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing, Jews, ye put it from you, and look here, look how he words this. This is scathing. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. He says, you have declared yourself unworthy of everlasting life. I came and stood up in your synagogue and I told you that Jesus was the Messiah, that He lived and that He offered you everlasting life. And at first, you were intrigued. And at first, you were interested. But what happened? The next Saturday, boy, thousands of people showed up to hear Paul and Barnabas preach. And the Jews turned and saw the crowd. And when they saw that they were no longer as popular as Paul and Barnabas, envy set in. Envy set in. Envy is a cancer that will kill you. And that's exactly what happened here to the Jews. They were considering the gospel until they saw they were outshined by Paul and Barnabas. When they saw they were outshined, they no longer wanted to have anything to do with them. They began to uh, critique and push against and contradict and blaspheme the gospel message of Paul and Barnabas, the Jews Envy, the Jews' envy. Letter B, notice the preacher's expulsion. The preacher's expulsion. Look at verse number 50. And the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable. That word honorable there means popular. The devout and popular women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. What happened? The Jews went around to their buddies... Uh, the Jews went around to uh, the Lions Club or the VFW or uh, to the politicians in town and, and uh, got all the people who were middle class and upper middle class that had power, the bankers and the bankers' wives, and uh, they got them stirred up against Paul and Barnabas. And the next thing you know, they're stirring up the people, they're creating a riot, and they're getting Paul and Barnabas, the preachers, thrown out of town, thrown out of town. Letter C, and lastly, notice the preacher's endurance. 
Look at verse number 51 with me. Verse 51. The Bible says, But they, Paul and Barnabas, and this would be Luke as well, shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. You know what? They were picked up by the nap of their neck and the seat of their pants, and they were thrown out of town. Told, and don't come back, right? You get the picture? And you know what Paul and Barnabas did? They kicked the dust off their shoes, and they said, well, you may reject us on to the next city, on to the next people, and we're not going to stop. You know, Luke chapter 9, verse 5, Luke wrote, in, Luke wrote the book of Acts about how he did this. Well, where did he learn to do this? He learned to do this from Jesus himself. Luke chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus told his disciples, And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Many people are fearful to share the gospel because of the possibility of rejection. The fear of rejection. Let me just ask a question tonight. How many of you here find it difficult to hand out a gospel tract or tell someone about Jesus because at times you're afraid that it might make you look weird? Be honest. Raise your hand. All right. I feel that way sometimes a little bit. I'm a kind of a Christian geek, so I'm, you know, and I know it, so I'm not too worried about it, okay? But sometimes I feel that way a little bit. You know what Paul and Barnabas did? They were just going to preach the gospel, and if they got thrown out, they were going to kick the dust off their feet and say, we don't care. We're going to the next people, we're going to keep preaching, and we're going to keep preaching. And you know what? If We're going to see this as we go through the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas got kicked out of almost every city they went to. But you know what they left behind every city they went to? Churches. Churches. Because people believed. And they kicked Paul and Barnabas out, but they couldn't kick the Lord Jesus Christ out. He stayed behind and kept working in the hearts of those who were in that city. Hey, listen, I just want to say this. The Bible tells us that God's Word will not return void. You give the gospel at a family reunion. You give the gospel at a at a work party, you give the gospel to a co-worker during lunch break, you give the gospel uh, around your neighborhood, uh, and you may think, I'm wasting my time. Wasting my time. I, you, that, that went nowhere. Boy, that was a dud. God's Word does not return void. We plant the gospel seeds, and we leave the results up to the Lord. What do we have here? We have Paul and Barnabas going into areas where the gospel had never been preached, was their goal to establish a church the first time around? No. Their gospel was to pioneer into the darkness and hold up the light of Jesus and preach Him loud and clear. And we'll see them come back around to cities like Antioch, uh, this, this Antioch, and we'll see them uh, uh, declare Jesus uh, in a way where uh, Antioch of the city, his name is the city, where later people would gather themselves together and churches would be established. Hey, listen, your goal isn't to get someone from A to Z in one full swoop. Your goal, your goal is not to take that God-hating co-worker or neighbor or relative of yours and in 30 minutes get them to be a baptized convert in a Baptist church. Your goal is to plant those gospel seeds a little at a time 
and wash, water them both by what you say and how you live. And we're faithful and we endure to the end. And guess what? God can do a great work through that. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go through the book of Acts. And Lord, be challenged verse by verse by what it has to say. And Lord, there are people all over the world right now that don't have a Bible translated into their language. They don't have a preacher to preach to them in their language. Lord, people by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions, unless somebody is willing to surrender to a call and go, these people may never hear. Lord, help us to have a tender heart toward your leading in our lives. Lord, uh, I'm so thankful that Paul was willing to preach the gospel to Gentiles. Because, Lord, all these years later, here we are on the other side of the globe in another culture and language. We believe because Paul was willing to go to the Gentiles. And Lord, I wonder who a thousand years from now or two thousand years from now, if you so choose to tarry, will be saved because of our life, because of our great sacrifice. Little sacrifice, little results. Great sacrifice, great results. Lord, help us to be willing to follow your plan for our lives. Lord, whether it's witnessing to an unreached people group on the other side of the globe or witnessing to our unreached co-workers across the cubicle, help us to be willing to step up and do what you call us to do. Work in our midst this evening in Jesus' name.